John 6:41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. May God add his blessings to the reading of this word. If you, you know, I had, I had three little kids in, in, in church when I, was a, when I was a younger parent. And there was one time where uh, my daughter Devin uttered some stuff during a prayer that probably she shouldn't have out loud. And it was pretty funny. But... Uh, Pastor, pastor was preaching, and, and uh, right in the middle of the preach, she's just like, well, this stinks. <laughs> but she didn't say stinks. It was pretty funny. Um, but, you know, we're, we're excited. We've got VBS coming up. We've got a lot of things happening with kids around here. And, and of course, like Vicki was talking about, flies in, in full swing. And, and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're just seeing God do amazing things. And it's been such an awesome start to our summer. It feels like it hit us pretty quickly. You know, we, we had our 412 gathering at Thomas Park on Wednesday, and it was the first one. And usually, the, you know, you don't even know what you're going to get with those, but we had more kids show up Wednesday night out at the park than we've ever had do that in three years. It was awesome. Um, so we're just kind of like, wow, God, what are you up to? You know, and I know some of you be getting phone calls about summer games. If you haven't signed your kids up for summer games yet, get on that. Get them signed up. We want to get them there and, and excited about what God's doing. There's tons of stuff to be, to be uh, thankful for. Mike's away at annual conference this week with all the, with all the church leadership and the Methodist conference. And, and um, got a text from him early this morning. And, and uh, he's, of course, thinking about how we're doing here. So whatever happens in the next, you know, 
40 minutes, tell him it was absolutely awesome, all right? And uh, I'm sure it will be, but he's excited to get back here too as well. So let's talk about John chapter 6 and what Jesus is doing in, in this crazy text where he's talking about eating flesh and drinking blood and the bread of heaven and all of that. Uh, come down. Let, let's talk about that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible claim that he's making, isn't it? He's claiming basically that no one has seen God except for him, that he is, he is the bread come down from heaven. And, and when you read John's gospel, you, you can see from the very beginning of it that there's no ambiguity about who Jesus is. John's writing for the specific purpose that we would know who Jesus is and that we would believe in him. The opening verses of John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God came down from heaven. And you see Jesus' conversations with people move from, you know, these private conversations like he has with Nicodemus and the woman at the well in John 4 to now into this more public setting where he's standing before all of these people declaring that he is the Son of God, that he is this true bread come down from heaven. And it's quite the claim that he makes. And the Jews have a difficult time Believing this claim, don't they? I mean, let's face it. Jesus wasn't the first person in his era to make a claim like this. He's not the first person to ever arrive and declare that he was the Messiah or declare that he was a special prophet. There were were many imposters before him. If you read through history, you can find them. And, And these folks have especially a difficult time because they know Jesus. They've known him since he was a kid. He's standing in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is his hometown. This is his home church. And they're saying, isn't this Jesus whose mother and father we know? Isn't he the son of Mary and Joseph? Some of them are saying, hey, I used to babysit him when, I, when he was a kid, perhaps. Our kids played together. How can he say that he's the bread come down from heaven? How is that possible? It's as if these people Jesus is speaking to cannot understand because their perspective is too narrow. They're too formed by their own understanding and they're viewing everything he's saying and everything that's happening through the lens of their own human experience. And really, nothing has changed over the last 2,000 years when it comes to that. Many of us have the same experience when we're faced with a word from Jesus or about Jesus. We tend to, to filter that through what we know. We filter it through our cultural understanding and through what's happening around us. So here's Jesus' response to what they're struggling with. It's pretty plain. He says, stop grumbling. Stop grumbling amongst yourselves. You know, this grumbling is nothing new from human beings, is it? Since the fall of creation, human beings have been grumbling against God whenever he says something that they disagree with, don't understand, or challenges them. And that is continuing to be true, isn't it? People grumble against God all the time. All the time. The people of God grumbled against God in the desert when God gave the bread from heaven in the Old Testament, didn't they? Let's look at this scripture from Numbers 11. And and I kind of want to set the stage here for this because... This is, the, this is the backdrop that the Jews keep talking to Jesus about the bread from heaven. When they say, our fathers ate bread, in, and Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know, Jesus is talking in that context. 
And the context was that the Jewish people had been delivered out of Israel or out of Egypt and were headed towards the promised land. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt and God miraculously freed them and delivered them and set them out on a journey that if you or I were to, to, to set our face toward the promised land from the shores of the Red Sea and walked at a normal pace would take us less than a week to get there. It would take less than a week. It took the, the Hebrews 40 years. Often because of their grumbling. Often because of their complaining and their disobedience. As a matter of fact, God became so frustrated with them that He declared that none of the males who were military age and up that were part of that original group would ever live to see the promised land. And as they were going through the desert, they were like, we don't have any food. We don't have any food. Where's our food? What are we going to do? So Moses prayed, and, and God provided this stuff called manna. And manna appeared in the morning on the dew of the ground every morning, and it was more than they could possibly ever need for sustenance. But here's what happened in Numbers 11. Now the people were complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was called Tibera because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Now let me stop for a second there. You remember what I said a minute ago. They were slaves in Egypt. They broke their backs working sun up to sun down under the oppression of their slave masters. And yeah, they had food to eat there, but they longed to be free. Now they're free. And what are they doing? Oh, wasn't it great before we had all this? It's amazing how human beings can selectively remember what they want to remember, right, in a given time. I'll, I'll continue here. Also, the cucumbers, melons and leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. So this is the, the, the backdrop of, of what the Jews are referring to when they talk about the manna that their forefathers ate. And Jesus remembers the grumbling. And it appears that not much has changed. They continue to grumble. Now, the Jews had experienced at the time of Jesus a 400-year silence from God. The book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, had, had been written 400 years before the birth of Christ. So think about it. It's 2015 right now. Think about the year 1615. How long ago is that? Right? It's medieval history. It seems like ancient history to us. That's how much time has passed since the close of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. And in that time, the Jews had once again, because of their grumbling and disobedience, had lost control over their land. The Roman invaders had come and occupied their territory and had, had ruled them. And they were forbidden from truly being free and, and, and owning their own, their own land. So... They, like they were in Egypt, were slaves. And they longed for a deliverer. 
And God was ready to provide that deliverer. And here they are once again grumbling. Here they are once again grumbling. I think Jesus uh, makes these remarks recognizing the fact that these people had clung to a promise that God would deliver them again, but they had lost touch with God because of their narrow focus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. But rather than receive Him with thanksgiving, they grumble among themselves. And I think that Jesus' remarks about the bread are, are meant to parallel the, given, the giving of the manna to the Israelites. You see, the manna was given to provide for their sustenance and life in the desert. And these comments also come on the heels of Jesus' miracle of feeding the thousands of people. And what did He feed them with? Feed them with bread. So history was repeating itself. Stop grumbling among yourselves is what He said to them. And I think that's good advice for us too. Because, let's be real, human beings today can continue to grumble among themselves when they hear the words of God that challenge us. Now, the next words that Jesus say are pretty interesting. He says, stop grumbling among yourselves. But then he says this, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, what does that mean? Simply, it means this. Coming to Jesus is not something that we do on our own. We don't, as, as sinful creatures that are inherently grumbling against God, we don't wake up one day and suddenly go, you know what, I think I'll come to Jesus today. That doesn't happen because we decided to. It happens because God draws us to Him. It's what we call grace. And, and, and Wesley referred to this grace as prevenient grace. The grace that draws a person to Jesus Christ and allows them the ability to make a decision whether they want to put their faith in Him or whether they want to grumble and walk away. It's a choice that we all have to make. But Jesus wants to make it clear that nobody comes unless they've been invited by God. And the good news is, you and I have been invited by God. The question is, what will we do? How will we respond? Will we believe? Now Jesus also points out that the belief in religion and the things of this world will ultimately lead to death. Last week we read where he says, do not work for the food that spoils. And this is a reference to the fact that Pastor Mike talked about, that everything that we can experience in this world, the things of this world, ultimately cannot satisfy us and will not lead us to life. But here Jesus does something a little bit different. He takes it a step further, and He doesn't just attack their worldliness, now He begins to attack their religion. The religious point of view that clung to their heritage as the people of God whose forefathers ate manna in the desert. And Jesus basically says to them, look, your fathers ate this manna, yes, and then they died. That manna they had in the desert didn't bring them eternal life. That in and of itself wasn't the point. This is an attack on the idea that the Jews could rest on their heritage you see, they believed that because they were God's chosen people, that somehow they were special and automatically right with God. And make no mistake about it, Jesus wants to attack this idea. You know, sometimes we in America can think the same thing, can't we? 
We can have this belief that like God's American and we're American and God bless America and, and God's for us and against our enemies and it's all about you know this commingling of patriotism with our faith and, and, and we're a Christian nation, right? So therefore, we're Christian, right? And, and my parents went to church or they were Methodists or they were Catholics so they're on this and that. You know, Jesus would attack that and say, look, whatever your parents did was for your parents. What about for you? And he wants everyone to understand that it's not our heritage or our our nationality or our our lineage that makes us right with God. There's one thing and one thing only that makes us right with God, according to Jesus, and that is belief in Jesus. It's belief in Jesus. The bread of God has come down from heaven in the person of Jesus. Now that bread in the desert that we read about was a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. But now, Jesus has shown up. He is here. And He is saying that all of that has pointed to that moment. Has pointed to Him. And He is here. He's here. But now Jesus really begins to mess with them, doesn't He? He tells them plainly. He tells them plainly that the bread He will give for the life of the world is his flesh. It's not what he says. It's not his thoughts. It's his flesh. And then he begins to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, does this seem a little bit strange to anybody? You know, let's face it. Most of us are kind of desensitized to that kind of talk because we've had 2,000 years of, you know, communion where we where we talk about that and, and we see, oh, the blood, the blood of Christ, the body of Christ, all that. We've got 2,000 years plus. We, we know about the cross. We know the plan. We know the master plan of, of Jesus to give his life on the cross. These people knew none of that. What they knew was that their law had forbidden strictly any contact with human flesh or blood. It had forbidden that. There was no more unclean substance in the world than, than a human body, a dead human body, flesh, or blood. And now here comes Jesus saying to these good Jewish people, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is beyond scandalous. This is beyond blasphemous. This is beyond all... This is it's utterly offensive. And they're starting to back up and go, wait a second, Jesus. What can you possibly mean by this? What can you possibly mean? And the metaphor gets more intense. Notice, he doesn't shy away from this, even though he knows it's offensive. He's trying to offend them and their religious idolatry. You know, good sermons are offensive. The best sermons I've ever heard were offensive to me. Now, I don't mean offensive in a personal way from a standpoint of, you know, someone making mean comments about somebody. But I'm talking about that part of our heart that, that when it encounters the Word of God is forced to change. And it, it pushes us back and makes us think about it. You know, when we preach sermons here, we get a lot of different reactions. I've, I've been a, a preacher for, for 20 years now. And, and I've had a lot of different reactions to my preaching. And, you know, there's there's... Some people who will come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Keith, that was an amazing sermon. It, you know, tears streaming down their face. It really changed my life. God has, has, has put you here to say that to me. I really needed that. And that makes me feel good. 
You know, it humbles me a lot. Wow, God would use me that way. And then I've had other reactions to my sermons where I've had people literally, like not even before I can get down and walk to the back or something, but people literally charge the stage and come up and stand right here and get right in my face and tell me how upset and angry and offended they are at my sermon or how disappointed they were in what I said that day. Had that reaction too, okay? And you know what? I'll be honest with you. That one's not as much fun, but I'll take it. You want to know the ones that's the hardest for a pastor to hear? At least a pastor like Pastor Mike and myself, because I can speak for him on this. The ones that are the hardest for us to hear is, is when we've preached our guts out, and we've like challenged people, and we've exposited the Word of God in a way that is like just, you know, very in your face. And, and a person will kind of do the little, well, that was a nice, pat, nice sermon, Pastor. You know? Now, I know people's hearts are right, and they mean well and everything like that, but when I hear that, I go, Nice? That wasn't supposed to be nice. You know, I, we're not reading from, you know, Reader's Digest up here. Or Christian soup for the chicken soul. Or Christian chicken for the whatever soul. Or chicken soup for the this or that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you, oh, well, the Goldilocks are the three little pigs. Let's talk about Jesus. This is the Word of God. This is Jesus looking people in the face and saying the most offensive things to them. The sermons that have changed my life have not been the nice, fluffy, little, neat sermons that make me go, hmm, that's interesting. They've been the ones that have made me go, man, I'm a sinner. I need to repent. I need to change my life. I need to get on my face before God. I need to stop grumbling against what God's trying to do in my life and submit to Him. Those are the sermons that have changed my life. I'm not trying to get warm, fuzzy going on in here. Don't tell me it was nice. I can't tell you how many people come up to me afterwards going, Hey, Pastor, nice sermon. Wake, wake. <laughs> and, you know, I, I love this church. I love you guys. So I can, I can just tell you that. You know, I, I think Jesus was, was not trying to smooth people over. I mean, we'll see next week when we see more of how they respond to this, that, you know what, he wasn't interested in coddling anybody. He's hardcore, man. He's in your face with this. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Now, we're going to unpack that in a second here to talk about what he means by that and, and even more next week. But make no mistake, he wasn't trying to hold their little hands to make them feel good about themselves. He's trying to save their souls. He's trying to, to offend them and their idea of worldliness and their religious idolatry as well. So three things about this and hopefully... We'll get into communion and it will, we'll experience it. But the first thing is this, is that Jesus is and always has been God's answer to humanity's hunger. Jesus is and always has been God's answer to humanity's hunger. Mike talked about this a lot last week, that what we want and what will ultimately satisfy us are two completely different things most of the time. Anybody with kids that, that could tell you that, like a week after Christmas, right? Remember that? You know, a week after Christmas, that thing that your kid told you, that was all they ever wanted and would be the greatest this or the greatest that or whatever it was going to be in their life. A week later, it's broken, lost, or complete, or shoved to the back of the closet, right? And, and we just keep doing that, don't we, as we, as we grow older, right? We, we re- repeat that. The things that we think we want right now are the things that ultimately are not going to satisfy us. It's Jesus who is the answer to what will ultimately satisfy us. 
And that's the message that he's giving. He's saying, look, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. If you eat this bread and drink this blood, you will have life eternal. What does bread do? It nourishes us. What does bread do? It gives us life. It gives us energy. It's the food that, that we need. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing. He's like, that's how I am for you. Secondly, Jesus gives his flesh for the life of the world. You know, when Jesus took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. My flesh is what I give for the life of the world. Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't just about what he said. It was also about what he did. We can't lose sight of that. He didn't just come down to give us good moral advice or to be some new philosopher. He wasn't just trying to throw his name in the hat of all of the different world religions so that someday he could get a cross put on the coexist bumper sticker, right? He wasn't trying to fit into something. He was trying to come and say, look, what I have to do is sacrifice myself. That's where the life comes from. It comes from his atoning sacrifice on the cross. That's the gospel message. That he gave his life. He gives his flesh. We can't miss that. Because if we do, then none of this makes any sense, you see. If we miss the reason behind what we do when we say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, if we miss that, then we're just kind of superstitious, strange people in here who don't really know why we do what we do. And lastly, belief in Jesus is what is meant by eat his flesh and drink his blood. He didn't really intend to rip off a piece of his arm and give it to you to eat. He wasn't speaking in that way. He was pointing to what would happen. And he's talking about this idea of belief, but not the kind of belief like, oh yeah, I believe that. St. Augustine said in the, in the 4th century, he said, believe and you have eaten. But not the kind of belief that we're used to, the kind of belief that goes beyond just mere intellectual assent to a, to a truth, the kind of belief that changes you from the inside out, the kind of belief that defines who you are. There's not too many beliefs like that, are there? Think about the things that you believe that really define who you are. That's the kind of belief that Jesus is talking about. And that's why this idea of eating and drinking is, is so important because it's that level of commingling with you that Jesus wants your belief to take on. Because when you, when you eat something, when you eat the bread, it becomes a part of you. It disappears inside your body. And very soon after you've eaten it, you can't tell one from the other anymore. You don't know where the bread starts and your body stops, or vice versa. It enters into your bloodstream and your cells and it becomes... It becomes indistinguishable from your person. That's the kind of belief that Jesus wants us to have. It's not just a compartment of our lives. It becomes the defining belief of our lives. It becomes what we identify ourselves with more than anything else in this world. That's the kind of belief that Jesus is talking about. And to ingest this belief in Jesus is to the point where belief in Him is more important than anything else. Now, if you have that kind of belief in other things in your life, if you ingest a belief in your stuff, 
or even in your religion or your rituals or whatever that kind of thing is, ultimately you will not find life. But if you invest and ingest Jesus, He says you'll have life eternal. He says He'll remain in you. That living bread which has come down from heaven, this is Jesus. He is the bread and has what goes beyond your worldly appetites to satisfy your soul. Now, in just a minute here, we're going to receive communion. But before we do, I want to ask you something. How are you going to respond to this? You really have two choices. You can grumble against God, or you can receive it with thanksgiving. You've been invited. You've been invited. But many are invited and not all receive. Many are invited and, oh, well, God this and God that, and if God really loved me, my life would be better, and God, you don't really want me to give up this or to change that or to be that or to forgive that person or to apologize to that person or, 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 or whatever it might be. We all have things that we grumble against. But at the end of the day, you're left with a choice and an invitation. Today when you come forward, my prayer for all of us is that we would receive this bread of life with thanksgiving. Because some of us, more than others even today, really have a sense that we need that nourishment. Somebody in here is probably struggling with something pretty heavy duty. Maybe a, a physical problem or an emotional problem. A relationship is going bad or maybe you just feel lost and hopeless or maybe there's something in your life right now that you just can't seem to get past. There's an angst in your soul that no matter what you try to stuff into it, it just leaks right out. And no matter how you try to fill that appetite, it doesn't ever work. You've tried worldly things and maybe you've even tried religious things. You've gone to church, you've done a Bible study, you've done these things. You know, all that stuff isn't Jesus, by the way. It's time to let Jesus fill that void. It's time to let Jesus nourish you. So in just, in just a few moments, when you come down, I want you to pray this prayer. As you take the bread and you dip it into the cup, just in your heart, I want you to pray, Lord, nourish me. Give me life. And as you eat that, I want you to imagine the work and the grace of God washing over you and entering you and transforming you from the inside out. Because He'll do it. He says, whoever drinks my blood and eats my flesh has life eternal. If you believe, and as we celebrate this symbol of that belief and this this remembrance of Jesus, understand that He's invited you. He's invited you. So let's not grumble. Let's receive it. I wonder if on that night, when He gathered with His disciples, if they finally got it. See, they had eaten their meal together, and then they had... A final moment together where Jesus broke from tradition and he took this bread. And this is, you know, some time after all these events in John 6. And he gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples, the ones who hung with him through all of this offensive talk, right? 
the ones who wouldn't leave him. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. I wonder if it was at that moment that their minds went, now we understand what he was talking about. Now it comes together. I wonder if the next day when they saw him on the cross, if then they understood. You and I have seen that through history. We know what comes next in the, in the, in the events. But here today, we still have moments where we go, now I get it. 